Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Markets are tanking. Inflation is running hot, and things are not good, not only for investors, but consumers at large. And in times like these, expert advice holds a premium and is needed more than ever. So today, we're going to look at Fed policy, cratering markets, and by the way, out-of-control food and gas prices, and how this is all going to play out. I'm Andy Gersher, and this is GAINS. All right, we're going to bring on one of our regulars, Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios out of San Diego. His website, of course, is macrotides.com. Jim, always great to have you on the Gaines Podcast. How you doing? I'm doing good, Andy. How about yourself? I'm doing outstanding, a lot better than the markets. Since the last time we talked, markets have pulled back quite a bit, uh, and we've seen inflation rage Further, give me your read on the current situation. Well, it hasn't really changed all that much. You know, coming into this year, Andy, my take was that the S and P would be vulnerable to a ten to fifteen percent correction, primarily due to a shift in monetary policy as the Fed would move toward raising rates, also shrinking its balance sheet, and that combined with a slowdown in the economy uh, was going to cause the market to pull back. Valuations were historically high coming into this year. So you had kind of the perfect storm that set it up. And one of the price targets that I written about um, two months or so ago was 38.50 on the S&P 500. And that was simply arrived by looking at the high in January, 48.18, and the low in March of 2020 at 21.92. And the difference, if you multiply by 38.2%, which is a, a Fibonacci uh, number, uh, you know, targeted 38.15. So I just went 38.50. So that was my expectation. We obviously got there. I, I thought we'd have a rally up to 41.50, 4,200. The S&P got to 41.78. And then, as we all know, last Thursday really began a, a waterfall decline. The S&P's set about 350 points since Thursday morning. So a real wake-up call provided by the Consumer Price Index, you know, that came out on Friday morning. This is all happening ahead of a very key Fed meeting and uh, expected rate hike. 
Um, yep. How has that played into the mix? Is it baking the Fed decision into the market? Uh, I mean, what's your read on the downside uh, beyond just the technical look? I mean, we, you often yeah. cite technicals and fundamentals. Yep, yep. Well, you know, as we all know, that in the last few weeks, the uh, members of the FOMC, including Chair Powell, went out of their way telling markets that they were going to raise the funds rate at this meeting 50 basis points. Now, prior to a meeting, there can be no speeches by any of the Fed members or board members. And, you know, the CPI report came out. So there was no uh, ability, if you will, to communicate a more stringent uh, increase in the Fed funds rate. So what happened yesterday was a reporter at the Wall Street Journal who has pretty good connections inside the Federal Reserve wrote a report that 75 basis points was on the table. So, you know, I think that was intentional by the Fed to kind of allow markets to see what potentially is coming. And the Fed believes in forward guidance, meaning that they like to talk about what they're going to do before they do it and then talk about it a little bit more. And, you know, the way this thing unfolded did not allow them uh, that possibility uh, that they would normally do. So them going 75 would be different than you know what they normally would do in terms of forward guidance. Oh, it's going to be 50, and now at the last second, we're going 75. But I think it makes sense to me, Andy, because what the Fed said two months ago was that they wanted to get the federal funds rate up to about two and a quarter to two and a half percent to remove all the accommodation. Uh, St. Louis Fed President Bullard said, you know, people have a misconception. They think we're tightening as we go from zero up to the neutral rate. That isn't tightening. All we're doing by doing that is removing the excess accommodation that was put in place. Restoring to normalcy, basically. Effectively, absolutely right. Getting to a point of equilibrium where the federal funds rate is neither stimulative nor a drag. So, you know, they said they wanted to get up to that level as, you know, expeditiously as possible. And going 75 uh, at this meeting and leaving open the door for whatever they choose to do at the July 27th meeting, I think makes sense. The markets are already reacted to that news clip, which I think was intentional. Um, so, uh, again, I, the Fed wants to get to neutral as quickly as they can, and 75 basis points will obviously get them sooner than if they had just if they just go uh, 50. Full disclosure, I hope they go. Uh, they ho- I hope they pull the band-aid tomorrow and get aggressive. The, the other thing, can I just mention? Yeah, real yeah go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, there's because to me, credibility is on the line here with such outrageously bad inflation numbers. Absolutely. Uh, you know that they need, to, in my opinion, need to do something to try to stop the bleeding in terms of their credibility. I was very critical last year. Didn't think inflation was going to be transitory. We, we were both very yeah. critical on this yeah. very November, podcast, December. talking yep. about it a ton. So, you know, so I think, you know, what they're trying to do now is regain some credibility. And Paul and others on the Fed have said that, um, gee, if inflation doesn't go the way we expect, meaning start to ease off, we're fully committed to go above neutral. So to me, if that language means anything, uh, I think it means that they should go 75 basis points tomorrow, because if they only go 50, it'll come across again as timid. Uh, but there is a second option, 
The Fed has been shrinking its balance sheet starting June 1 by $47 billion a month. And they said they're going to do that for three months and then September 1 go to $95 billion. So I think there's the potential, Andy, that if they keep rates at just a 50 basis point increase, that they'll say, all right, we're going to move up the time frame for us when we're going to start uh, tapering by $95 billion from September 1 to July 1. I just think they have to do something either on the interest rate front or on the balance sheet to make people kind of realize, okay, they're responding to the terrible inflation news via the CPI on Friday. And I think to retain credibility, they have to do something. We always focus on rates, and that's an important uh, thing you just brought up there. Is the balance sheet, that is another factor, another component to all of this. Jim, explain the balance sheet aspect of this and why it's, you know, tightening that up is, is, is crucial as well. Absolutely. So, you know, for after the uh, onset of the pandemic, the Fed increased its balance sheet from a little over $4 trillion uh, to $9 trillion. And they did that by buying Treasury paper, mortgage-backed securities. So they were absorbing the sales that were happening in those markets in an attempt to suppress interest rates, longer-term interest rates going out 5, 10, 20, and 30 years. So that was the whole point of doing that. Uh, So obviously, to the extent that that succeeded, and it did because rates stayed down longer than I expected last year, even as inflation started to tick higher, if they stop buying, which is what they're effectively going to do, in other words, as paper comes due, they're not replacing it with new paper. So it's running off the balance sheet. Um, that The supply of paper that they were taking down then has to re- be replaced by demand from other uh, institutions, pension funds, insurance companies, foreign investors. And so that extra supply, given the psychology of what's going on with inflation and monetary policy, could be difficult to digest. And I think it potentially we're seeing some of that impact in that yields on the 10 and 30 year uh, have really started to ratchet up so that the lack of buying by the Federal Reserve just creates a, you know an easier pathway for Treasury yields to continue to move up. I think a lot of people wonder, well, if, if you know, the Fed increases rates, it's going to hit the the stock market. Um, why would they do that? Inflation is raging, and that's why they're getting aggressive here. But explain why tackling inflation is even more important than you know the overall strength of the stock market. I yeah. mean, because they, they, well, why? Why mean- you know a lot of people want to know why are they going to be so aggressive on inflation? when often the stock market pays for that. Why do they need to address that? A lot of people have asked me about that as of late. Well, it's Main Street versus Wall Street. And if we think about what's going on, wage growth has been uh, terrific. Uh, But the problem is that the cost of living is going up at a faster clip. So over the last 12 months, wages might be up uh, 6%. But after inflation, they're down 3%. So the net result for you know lower-income people, the bottom 20 and 40% of wage earners in this country, is they're falling behind because the cost of food, uh, electricity, gasoline, and, of course, rent have really been going up. And I've discussed this at length the last couple of months in my monthly letter of macrotides. 
looking at the bottom 20 and 40 percent. The bottom 20 percent spend over 70 percent of their income on shelter, food, and energy. Uh, the middle class is around 50 percent. Uh, so, again, if you look at it, uh, yeah, the stock market may go down. Most of the people in the bottom 40 percent of wage earners have very little, if any, uh, stocks in their uh, in their personal portfolio. They don't have enough savings typically. They may have some exposure through a retirement plan, a pension plan type of thing, but for the most part, they don't. And so getting inflation down so that the cost of living ideally falls below the wage rate increase is terrific. That's the goal because if wages grow up five and inflation only goes up three, that means the purchasing power of wage earners has increased by 2%. In other words, every dollar they're making stretches and goes a little bit further. And, you know, that's a much better environment than the one we're in today where, um, you know, the bottom 20 to 40 percent of wage earners are really getting squeezed terribly. They, you know, going into this year, one of the reasons I did not believe there'd be a recession, and I still hold that view, just not with the same level of conviction, was there was about $2.3 trillion of savings. Uh, that consumers had amassed, both by not going out during different periods of the pandemic. The government sent out, uh, you know, a few trillion bucks uh, to people. Uh, so there was this huge pool of savings. Well, the bottom 20 percent, you know, it's not you could break it up into fifths and say, OK, the bottom 20 percent had the same percentage as the top 20. Right, right. They didn't. OK, so they burned through their savings. And I think one of the uh, hints that this is the case is if you look at credit card debt, uh, Andy, it, we, we've just talked about it the on the noon business months. hour. Yes. I mean, yeah. setting, okay. you know, went from being in, in really good shape to now soaring. And, yes. and, and I, th- I think another part of this, Jim, is explain if the Fed just sat by and let this run, how ugly something like that could get and why. Well, again, as the cost of living starts to, uh, you know, erode purchasing power and all of a sudden people are having a hard time putting food on the table putting gas in their car so they can get to work and so forth. You know, those are the things that revolutions are, are, are and just obviously just great levels of dissent. Uh, and, and the misery index used to be an index. Actually, you should look it up in terms of adding inflation to, uh, to the unemployment rate. And, you know, obviously we're comfortably in the double digits. And I think that's comparable to what it was at times in the 70s and 80s. So, you know, Powell has said stable inflation is, is, you know, integral to having a healthy economy. So, uh, you know, I have criticized the Fed and other central bankers who have said that their goal is to have inflation be 2 percent. I think that is a stupid goal. And I use that word intentionally for this reason. The average American lives between 78 and 80 years. Money doubles at 2 percent every 36 years. So what that means is the Fed thinks inflation is stable if inflation only goes up 2% a year. But for somebody born uh, during their lifetime, prices will quadruple. Yeah, that doesn't translate at all. I mean, We all okay. know firsthand of what we've paid for stuff 40 years ago, 20 yep. years ago, 10. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Nowadays, so, it's like what you goal. paid two, like a couple months ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean – uh, so my point is, I, I just think that that is uh, misguided to say that two percent inflation 
is acceptable when you look at its corrosive effect on standard livings over a lifetime. Um, but nonetheless, obviously at 8% and 6%, and then it gets <laughs> yeah, out of you're control. making it that much worse. So yeah, I think the Fed understands it's imperative that they uh, act uh, to regain credibility, slow uh, demand down, which means slowing the economy. And probably at some point in time, we will so see the unemployment rate tick up. That one, that's not going to happen for a while because you still have 1.8 jobs uh, open for every one person who's unemployed. I, I guess so that's a bit of a silver tight. lining here is, oh, is the backdrop of the employment situation. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We're going to talk to Jim about how far to the downside the market could go, possible plays here, how you could potentially get cover in, in the current environment. But real quick, hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if that's an option for you. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new gains episode drops. We drop gains episodes on Wednesday and Friday mornings. All right, we'll be right back uh, with Jim Welsh after the break. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast baseball is in full swing nba playoffs are heating up and your nfl team is gearing up for training camp listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the odyssey app the biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives. Streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Back with Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego. The website macrotides.com. 
Jim always gives us a little love for the Gaines listener. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah, I'd be happy to send this last week's weekly technical review. I effectively, Andy, do two reports, as you know, a monthly issue of Macro Ties that really looks at, um, if you will, the bigger picture, uh, and then the weekly technical review, which uh, covers you know recent economic data points like this last week, the Consumer Price Index, but is more weighted toward technical analysis of the stock market, bond market, the dollar, gold, and silver, and gold stocks. So I'm, I'm happy to um, faithful listeners of uh, your podcast. I'm happy to send this past week's uh, weekly technical review. Uh, I think they'll find it pretty informative. It's a good time to get that key insight from Jim, especially where markets are. And that's my next question for you, Jim, is uh, the Dow theory, something we talk about uh, on the Gaines podcast a lot, still bearish. I mean, even actually the Dow Industrials put in a new low today. Um, Transports did that yesterday. In fact, the transports had a little strength today because of of FedEx increasing its dividend. There's a couple other factors there. With the Dow theory saying things are bearish and your technical look and, 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 and the fundamentals we just discussed, how far to the downside could this go? What do you see? Give us a, a, a technical take on things. And r- how, how far could this go to the downside? Well, the, the initial leg down, Andy, was caused by higher interest rates, not necessarily the Fed funds rate. But the two-year Treasury yield and obviously 10- and 30-year Treasury yield, because as rates go up, that puts downward pressure on P.E. ratios. So the first leg of this bear market, if you will, was caused by that dynamic. So instead of paying 21 times earnings, all of a sudden uh, people are willing to pay 16 to 17. I think, and I've been writing about this for the last couple months, that the next leg down is going to come when we start to see earnings estimates for the balance of 2022 and 2023 start to come down. It's amazing to me that they're still expecting earnings to be up over 10% this year and next year. Um, That's just going to change. And I think the last week or so, Andy, has probably provided enough uh, impetus for the Wall Street analysts to start taking out their pencils and sharpening. But a lot of times they wait for companies to provide the guidance lower. In other words, they're not willing to stick their necks out and state and do something that should be painfully obvious at this point. They want to have the cover of the companies telling us that, okay, they're expecting earnings to be down, and, and then all of a sudden you get the revamp. Yesterday, David Costin, I think, from Goldman Sachs kind of finally addressed it. He was a guy who was pretty constructive and bullish, and you know now he's shaved his earnings estimate. So that, I think, is the next shoe to drop. And that's a I big mean, thing. That's a really big yes. thing to hit on is the fact that, you know, when you're looking at quarterly earnings – it's often not what the company's done already. It's that forward guidance, their forecast going into the rest of the year. You just hit on that. So yeah. crucial. And I guess uh, in a lot of ways, uh, Wall Street's waiting to see how that will shape out. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and it's more critical right now, Andy, because obviously the economy is going through a transitional phase. So the, the past is the past. And we know the future is going to be slower economic growth, which is obviously going to pressure different industries unevenly. But, yeah, they're going to be more keen to, to weigh off the forward guidance of companies. So I think that's what's beginning and will happen. Um, I mentioned that 382 retracement of the whole rally from March of 2020 to January of this year was 38.15. The 50% retracement is 26.25. 
pardon me, 36, heart attack time, uh, 36, uh, 25. So to me, that becomes the next target of where we could get to. That doesn't mean there won't be rallies of 8 to 10% uh, along the way. But um, I, th- I think given what we're facing, tighter monetary policy, uh, slowing economy, earnings being revised down, it's difficult to come up with a reason to buy stocks. And the other thing I'll point out is that 10%, 11% increase in earnings uh, that they still have penciled in for this year, most of that is from energy companies for obvious reasons. But when you what, what do you think out, the realistic number is across the board? Yeah, and that's a great point. You know, energy, obviously, for obvious reasons, we see it at the gas pump, um, yeah. why they're forecasting that. But the, the broader market, I, what do you think is more realistic? Probably zero percent. Interesting. By the end of this year, I mean, I, I just again, the economy is going to slow, and in the meantime, as the top line, the revenue line starts to you know not grow as fast as it did over the last eighteen months. You know, costs are still ramping up. Transportation costs, diesel fuel, uh, wages are still going to continue to work their way higher. We aren't seeing a lot of input prices. There's some relief happening but not definitively yet. Do, do we need more economic deterioration before that happens? Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, again, we're not seeing well, it yet. They're going to be somewhat coincident, Andy. Okay. okay? Um, but again, the, the point here is that this is what the Federal Reserve wants to see happening. Right. They said needs, needs to see happen. I mean, this really yeah. needs to happen or inflation can get out of control. And when it gets out of control, everybody's in a world of hurt. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's already out of control relative to the fair last enough, 20, fair 30 enough, years. Yeah. I mean, it's not uh, Weimar out of control. It's not Weimar yeah. out of control, <laughs> but it is pretty bad. Yeah, no, no one needs to rush out and get a wheelbarrow. So quite yet, uh, which is a reference to Weimar uh, inflation back in the early 1920s in Germany. Um, uh, but uh, again, the Fed wants to see this happen. And they're effectively saying we're willing to tolerate a modest uptick in inflation a slowdown in the economy, because all we can do is affect the demand side. So, you know, the Fed has had a bit of, uh, you know, if you will, piling on by the fact of supply chains, China closing down its economy with its zero tolerance policy, Um, obviously the Ukraine war. One thing I'll mention, because I think it's important, uh, prior when President Biden took office, uh, the national average for a gallon of gasoline was about $2.40. Uh, in October of 2021, so it was like four to five months before the invasion took place, uh, it was up to 345. So it was up about 45%. And then since uh, the invasion, uh, it's up another 45%. So, uh, you know, again, I like to look, I like to play it down the middle. You know, there's people who want to blame it completely on Putin's war. That's not truthful. And there's people who want to uh, blame it entirely on President Biden. Well, that's not truthful either. The reality is price, gas prices were up 45 percent from the time uh, Biden took office until October 2021. And since February 24th of 2022, gas prices have gone up another 45 percent. So just to set that out there. Um, but again, the Fed can't do anything about that. And, and speaking, you're speaking of energy. Does it still have yeah. room? Do you see energy running here? Are those companies going to benefit? I think that we're close to a high uh, in energy prices. I'm not sure. In other words, 
Um, it spiked up to $130 a barrel uh, a number of months ago, right after the invasion of uh, Ukraine. Uh, I'm looking at that as a wave three and that we're in the process of taking out that high. And then I think once the oil market does that, I think there's going to be a pullback that's you know reasonably significant. As we get more evidence that the economy in the U.S. is slowing, Europe is slowing more than us. Uh, China is going to slow down because they're dependent on uh, demand from Europe for exports, just as they're also de- you know, dependent on the U.S. So this is a global uh, slowdown that's taking hold, and it's self-reinforcing in the sense that no country is completely insulated from what's happening in the rest of the world. So all those things, I think, Andy, are going to set up a, a framework where you could see oil prices correct 20 to $30 just on that wave, because there's been a fair amount of speculation that's happened in the oil market for obvious reasons. So, uh, you know, I I think we're near a high in inflation. The key point that I've tried to make repeatedly is, you know, everyone's all peak inflation, peak inflation. Well, there's a huge difference between inflation peaking around eight and a half percent, then three and a half percent. Big difference in terms of how the Fed has to respond. And a lot of people on Wall Street, they've been around for 20, 30 years, they've never experienced the inflation that we're experiencing today. They don't know what to do it, and I think they've totally misjudged monetary policy as a result of that. Uh, I've been around a little longer, so uh, and, well, I was able to kind of navigate this uh, more effectively. And, and, and that leads me to how, you know, and, and give me a couple specific ideas, maybe tickers or anything. How does uh, an individual get a little cover here in this current environment i mean if you can't buy stocks and uh you know yeah. w- w- what do you do what's your advice for the individual investor we've talked about you know everything that's led up to this and where we're at and where we're going but how do you get cover yeah i, I think there are times where you just have to play it safe and i think these are this is has been um because i've recommended uh being you know maintaining a, a lower exposure to the market uh, because I thought monetary policy was going to continue to be tightened and that was going to have a negative impact on the market. So, yeah, sitting in cash is not very sexy. At the same time, um, it's better than losing 5 or 10% of your money. So I, I think in the near term, um, potentially the S&P can get down towards uh, that number I cited, 36.25. Uh, at that level, I'd be interested in, in doing some buying. The 618 retracement, Andy, is down around 3,200. So and when, when you're it, buying, when you're saying some buying, what, what, what does that entail? What, that entails identifying which sectors look like they're prone to have a rebound. So, for instance, in late May, um, on May 20th, in fact, I sent out a special report. The S&P, the Dow, uh, the Qs, the NASDAQ 100, all went to a lower low below the May 12th low. The Russell 2000 didn't. And so on May 20th, I sent up a report saying, I think we're ready for a rally to 4,100 to 4,200. And on, on the 23rd, the following Monday, I said, the Russell, uh, buy the Russell on May 24th uh, on a pullback. And it pulled back to about 1731. In the June 6th weekly technical review, I said, Sell um, the Russell 2000 if it trades over 1903. It traded up on June 7th to about 1919. 
So those, you know, to know three weeks from now, if the S&P is down at 36.25, I don't know today in the current environment, the level of volatility, which sectors are really going to be the ones to jump on. On May 20th, it was, you know, what was revealed was the Russell's holding up better. And as a result, if we are going to get a rally, the Russell would probably do better than the S&P. And as it turned out, it did go up more than the S&P during that window of time. So I can't answer your question. You know, we you're, we're not there yet, basically, is we're what you're telling yet. me. I mean, um, I mean, the same thing happened the last time you and I chatted was about probably three, four weeks ago. And you were pressing me for ideas. I'm like, Andy, I just can't come up with anything given my outlook that, you know, there's more downside coming. There's short-term rallies. But, you know, on a podcast like this, it's very difficult to keep people uh, in tune to what the market is doing. And that's, you know, one of the things that I'm glad that I do it in terms of doing special updates from time to time, because in periods of volatility like this, everyone needs a little more hand-holding. And it also provides the opportunity to take advantage of things when they show up. And, you know, again, a week from now, two weeks from now, we could be in a different place. Um, and there may be another uh, trading opportunity. And, and it's important because you are trading more than the average person. I mean, you're you're yep. you're looking at at market levels in your case, and what we're talking about is for somebody who's a, a lot more active than the sit and forget four hundred one k person. Um, Can I interject? This? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Monetary policy when it's a a, a tailwind. Volatility, the VIX is trading at 20 to 15. Then buying and holding and trying to find which sectors are, you know, winning the race uh, works really, really well. But when the Fed changes monetary policy, and obviously they've not only changed monetary policy, they are shifting into a higher gear in the last uh, month or two. Well, that's a heck of a headwind. And so to me, trying, you know, one has to, I think, trade uh, change tactics. So when we're in an unfriendly monetary environment and subsequently economic environment, for me, it, the only way to manage that risk is to become a little bit more short-term in nature uh, to try to catch tactical rallies at the same time respecting the, the major trend, which you know has been down. And I don't see that changing until the Fed is really – in a position where they can downshift the rhetoric, the rate increases, and so forth. I think that could happen by September. I'm still in that camp that thinks just because of all this uh, doesn't mean that the Fed won't have the leeway uh, when we get to September. A lot of data is going to be flowing in between now and then. We've already seen housing starting to significantly weaken. The energy spike, I think, is going to have repercussions that start to flow through. The rate increases will start to bite, you know, as I've written the last couple of months. People don't, you know, the Fed is raising the funds rate. The prime rate is tied to the funds rate. So, yeah, the 10-year has gone from 1% to 340. But, you know, the, the, the prime rate's only gone up about 75 basis points. So as the Fed continues to raise rates in the next few months, Andy, the prime rate's going to be marching higher. That's important because a lot of personal loans, small and medium-sized business loans are not tied to uh, the 10-year Treasury. They're tied to the prime rate. So as the Fed does this, the drag impact from their prior actions will start to have a greater uh, leverage on the economy and causing it 
to slow down. And the Fed knows this. There's a lag time, six to 12 months. So, again, I still am in the camp that they want to get to neutral to remove all the accommodation. I think they want to slow down because what they have emphasized, they'd love to achieve a soft landing. And they're driving a car, looking through the rearview mirror, and they're seeing what was happening six to 12 months ago. That is the life of a, you know, a central banker because it takes six to 12 months for the full impact of changes in interest rates to manifest in economic activity. It's not easy. And when things are happening as quickly as they are, um, I think it's all the more reason for the Fed to get to neutral. Uh, and then I think they're going to downshift to 25 basis point increases. Because uh, I think by the time we get to the fall, Andy, we will see more signs of the things that the Fed can't control starting to uh, you know, help the Fed as opposed to, to make their life more difficult. All right, let's leave it there. Uh, big thanks to Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios out of San Diego. His website, of course, macrotides.com. For the gains listeners, put in that final plug, Jim. Okay, send me an email, Jim Welsh, W-E-L-S-H, macro at Gmail, and I will send you the June 13th edition of the Weekly Technical Review. All right, take Jim up on that. All right, hey, thanks again. We'll have you on uh, again as we move along and get a little more clarity, and always appreciate your insight. Hey, Andy, I love the, the ability to be able to really discuss things in detail. I think your platform was really helpful to listeners to have a better understanding, a deeper understanding of what's going on in the economy, monetary policy, and financial markets. So uh, I think this is a great forum, and you're doing a great job. Oh, thank you so much. And, and you know, the other thing is it is nice to kind of flush this out more than two, three minutes on a, on a radio <laughs> show. So outstanding. All right, yep. thanks again. All right, we'll see you, Jim. Bye-bye. All right, that's going to wrap up our Gains podcast today. Again, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Totally be doing us a solid there. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We drop Gains episodes on Wednesday and Friday mornings. We're back on Friday morning, and I look forward to seeing you then. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.